Who's excited they came to church today, guys? Come on. You know? It's like, it only takes about 33 minutes, right? You can go from not doing so hot, you just need a few minutes in the presence of the Lord, and things start looking a little differently, huh? Um, God, it's so fun to be together this morning and, and worship and fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, for those of you that I don't know yet, my name is Chris Pletcher. I am one of the pastors on staff here at Antioch. I'm actually our family's pastor. Uh, love getting to be a part of this church family. I'll tell you a little bit about uh, me. My wife is sitting up here in the front row, Arlena. She's a superhero. If you haven't met her, you might see her walking around with a cape because we have four little kids. And so any mom, mom, all moms are superheroes, okay? My wife has some incredible superpowers that uh, I'll leave for a different sermon, but um, babe, you're amazing. Thanks for being such a superhero mom. Um, and wife, you know. Uh, <laughs> We have four kids under the age of five, and so a lot of what we do right now is, is mom. So, um, we, we have been at this church for seven years. We've been uh, on staff here for about three years. I'm going to show you a couple pictures of our kiddos, just if you haven't met them yet. They're pretty cute. And uh, there we go. There's our crew. There's Caleb at the bottom. He's uh, five years old. Our twins, Hudson and Levi. They're there in, the, on, in my arms, and then our little baby girl, we caught a daughter on round four, praise God, <laughs> because boys are just like next-level energy. It never stops, and so praise God for little girls. Here's another picture of Holland, just because she's stealing my heart, y'all. She's like so beautiful, and as, as the father to boys, it's, I, I needed some like tenderness in my world, you know? I've got enough wrestling, you know? Um, <clears throat> So I just, I just wanted to share a little bit of our family because really, um, we, family is so near and dear to the heart of God. Whether we're talking about natural realm families and what God does through our households, our marriages, and our kids, but the, the church really is the family of God, the household of God. And as our family's pastor, I love getting to be a part of the family, the family of God and what he's doing in and through our midst. And today, we're going to go after together as a family what, I, what we believe the Lord is speaking afresh for us here today. We're going to go after some freedom for our family. Amen? Amen? How many of you guys know that the gospel message is a message of freedom? Yeah. That all of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came, he lived, he died for our sins on the cross and was resurrected into victory, that the entire purpose behind the, the good news of Jesus and him coming was freedom and healing. Yep. That is what he, that is the, the, the essence, the sum of why Jesus came. We see in Isaiah 61, verse one, it's a verse that we share a lot here at Antioch. It says that the spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus to bring good news to the poor. He was sent to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So the spirit of God that came on, that was upon Jesus to bring the kingdom of God to earth through his life, it came to primarily do two things, if we're looking at this verse accurately, to bind up the broken and to proclaim liberty. So essentially, healing and freedom. Healing and freedom. The essence of Jesus is healing and freedom, church. It's not just that today is a freedom day. It's that every day is a freedom day in the kingdom of God. Because that's what Jesus came to bring, healing and freedom. So, see, sin, when we, cho when we choose to go our own way with, without God, and all of us have been there th hundreds of times, when we choose to do it our own way without God, sin, 
it leads actually to destruction and bondage. That's what sin creates. Actually, sin doesn't create anything. It just corrupts the good things that God created. So sin destroys and enslaves. And so isn't it just make sense that Jesus would come to heal and set free? Sin destroys and enslaves. So the whole message of Jesus, the whole purpose of his death and resurrection is healing and freedom. Every day is a day for healing and freedom in the kingdom of God. So if you're here this morning and you've got something that needs healing, or you an area of your life that needs to be set free, it's a good day to be in the house of God. Amen? Because this is who Jesus is. We don't even have to try hard because he already did all the work. Seriously, you just get to step in. If you're willing to reach out in faith, you get to step in and lay a hold of healing and freedom that's already been bought for you. That's That's every day in the kingdom. And so this morning as we go after freedom, as we go after freedom, I feel like the Lord wants to teach us how to think today, church. We're going to go after freedom in our minds, the stuff that happens up here between our two ears day to day. And I I think that um, if we're honest, if we take a quick look here in Scripture, we will see that what happens up here in our brains determines the course of our entire life. This little five or six inch little battlefield right here between your two ears very well might determine the entire course of your life and who you're going to become and what kind of life you're going to live. I'm going to show you here in Scripture in a minute, but, but as I was preparing for this week, it got me thinking, as a child, what were the, the main three things that occupied my thoughts? What were the main three things that consumed my mind as a child? So I'm talking like age 5 to 18. And as I, I really tried to like go back and say, what was I thinking about all the time? You know, what dominated my thoughts? And it was, it was three things, be a little bit honest and vulnerable. I did not grow up in a, in a church home. I didn't grow up with a lot of Jesus thoughts or God thoughts coming into my mind. So the three things that filled my mind from the age 5 to 18 were video games. Can I get an amen, brothers? Okay. <laughs> uh, sports and sex. From the age of 5 to 18, I would estimate that 90% of my thought life revolved around one of those three areas. That that is what consumed my thinking. And so when I think about those, I go, okay, well, what, what kind of fruit might that thought life produce, right? What are those, what's really going on there? And so with video games, it was this instant gratification thing, okay? It was this kind of this escaping into, into a different world. With sports, it was all about self-exaltation. I mean, sports are fun, but really you get on the playing field and you're just trying to prove that you're better than everybody else most of the time. And then, you know, sex, it was just the lust. It was the continual imaginations of a lustful thought life for a kid that didn't know God and just thought that that was normal. Those things consumed my thought life, consumed who I was from the age of 5 to 18. That's a lot of years of a lot of self-gratification, self-exaltation, and lust. So is it any surprise then that at the age of 18, when I met Jesus and, and, and got saved and began to turn my life away from my sin into this new life of Jesus, is it any surprise that I had a lot of work to do in cleaning up my thought life? Can I get an amen? Anybody been there? You're like, wow, yes, Jesus, you forgive me, you wash me, let's go, I'm going to be new. But wow, I've been thinking in these thought patterns for 15 20, I don't know, some of you 50 years have been thinking this way. And that kind of, when you lay those tracks in your brain, 
That stuff doesn't just change overnight. It actually takes work for us to do what the Bible calls renew our minds. I want to talk to us this morning about renewing our minds. I want to talk to us today about how to think like Jesus. That's basically what it means to renew your mind is to get the mind of Christ. And our freedom, guys, is inextricably connected to our thought life. And I, I want to show you here. So if you flip to Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Flip to Psalm 1, 1 through 3. And we're going to see a familiar passage for a lot of you guys, but I think that I'm hoping it's gonna, something new is going to kind of stand out for us today. All right? Maybe while you're flipping there or, or, or you're waiting, maybe you can think, what were my top three thoughts? What, what consumed my thoughts for the majority of my life or my childhood? Maybe some of your lists is, are, you know, better, you know, cleaner than mine. Maybe some are, are a lot more uh, X-rated than mine. Anywhere in between, I'm sure. But all of us have thought, lights that have, thought lives that have dominated the space up here in our heads, and they need some attention today. Amen. So check this out in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Okay, so check this out for a second. How many of you would say, I want to be a tree like that? Always fruitful, never withering, and prospering in everything that I do. Yeah. That's what I want my life to be like. Fruitful, never wither, and never grow dry and weary, and always prospering. Everything I touch, everything I touch succeeds. So we would all say that we want this kind of a life. We want to be that, those kind of people. But the key to that is actually in verse 2. We've got to zero in on what, what actually produces that kind of a tree. And here in verse 2, we'll go back. We see that it's a, it's a person who's chosen to delight in the law of the Lord and to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. You see, who we become is the byproduct of what we delight in and meditate on. It's good. I'm going to say it again. Who we become is the byproduct of what we delight in and meditate on. Delighting is, refer is referring to the place where we seek our joy. It's a place where we pursue our, our, our delight, our happiness, our pleasure. Meditation, obviously, refers to what we do with our minds, what we think about. So what, where you seek your joy and what you think about will determine if you're going to become a fruitful, never-withering, prosperous kind of person or if you're going to bear some other kind of fruit. So what kind of fruit do you think my tree was producing at 18 years old with those three things consuming 90% of my thought life? Do you think the fruit on my tree was pretty good at 18 years old? It was nasty, man. I'm not going to lie. You don't want to know. You don't want to know what the fruit, I mean, because you're going to bear something. You know that, right? Your life produces fruit, period. The question is, is it going to produce good fruit or bad fruit? 
And if what happens in your mind, what you find yourself meditating on, thinking on, and delighting in will determine what kind of fruit comes from your tree. You with me? So it is so important that we learn how to renew our minds and get free in our thought life. I want to show you one more verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Check out what happens. Actually, let's just go to verse, verse 2 here. Check out what happens if we get this right, okay? Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, say it with me, by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What's the key to, transform, to transforming your life according to Romans 12 too? Renewing your mind. The key to transforming our lives, and how many, I mean, unless you just were born, you know, the savior of the world, Jesus, right? You probably like need some life transformation. Are you with me? The key to us being transformed into the men and women that God has redeemed us to be is actually renewing our minds. Renewing our minds. So I want you to raise your hand if you find yourself, I'm gonna say a few statements. I want you to raise your hand if you find yourself agreeing with any of these statements this morning, okay? My hand will be up for all five because I created them, all right? So you're not alone. Okay, I battle with anxious thoughts on a weekly basis. I battle temptation regularly. Man, you guys are messed up. Um, (laughs) From time to time, I feel down or depressed, and I don't know why. I think negatively about myself on a regular basis. I think negatively about others on a regular basis. Man, you guys are messed up, okay? (laughs) Me too. Guys, do you see, looking around the room, do, we've got, do we have some work to do yeah. in learning to think like Jesus? Because I don't think that this was Jesus' thought life, okay? I don't think Jesus battled with anxious thoughts regularly, was always struggling with temptation, thinking negatively about himself and others. We need to learn how to think like Jesus. That's what the renewal of the mind is. If you're taking notes, the renewal of the mind is, is, renewal of the mind is just learning to think like Jesus, yeah. It's getting the mind of Christ in us. And it's a continual process, guys. God, I believe God is going to meet with us powerfully this morning. And and seriously, some of us are going to have major breakthroughs in freedom today. I wholeheartedly believe it happened in first service. It was powerful. Because Jesus came to heal and set free. We don't have to try hard. It's just who he is. It's what he wants to do every day is free, freedom and healing. And so some of you guys are going to have major, powerful encounters with God today, but the renewal of our mind is an ongoing process, guys. It's an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing because here's the thing that Satan does not want us to know and does not want you to know today is that you get to choose what you think about. You get to choose what you set your mind on or else the Bible wouldn't be full of different verses that in different ways say, set your mind on heaven. Think about the pure, excellent, lovely things of God. Meditate day and night on his word and on his truths. The Bible wouldn't call us to do something that we can't choose to do. Are you following me? Yes. Say it, I want you to repeat this after me. I get to choose what I think about. 
I'm not a victim of my thoughts. We need to believe that this morning, church, because the enemy's scheme is to try to convince us, to convince you that you are a victim to your thought life, that you can't escape this obsessiveness, you can't escape this negativity, that you just are, you know, something's wrong with you, or you have a mental illness. Now, I'm not saying, there are places where there are medically related mental illnesses, but I think that the vast majority of what we struggle here day to day, if we just learned how to think like Jesus, it would go away. So, we are not victims of what happens here between our ears. We get to choose what we think about. And if we will choose to meditate day and night, delight and meditate day and night, if we will choose to delight our hearts in God's truths, to meditate on his word day and night, if we will choose to do that, guys, it will renew our minds and it will transform our lives. That's the point. The point of this whole conversation is not that we just learn how to think like Jesus the, the point of this is that we learn to become like Jesus. Yes. And the transformation of our lives to look more like Jesus is inextricably connected to our ability to think like him. Yeah. You following me? Yes. So who wants to learn how to think like Jesus this morning? Who's interested in seeing some life transformation? Yes. I think all of us raised our hands to at least one or multiple of these things. So I think 100% of the room today is saying, I need some freedom. I need some renewal of my mind. Yeah. Well, the good news is Jesus has paid for all of it. So we're going to go get it today, okay? So there's three areas that I believe that Jesus wants to renew our minds in today. There's three areas. Number one is how we think about ourselves. Number two is how we think about our enemy, Satan. Somebody last service said, we're supposed to think about our enemy? I'm like, yes, we're supposed to think about our enemy. We're supposed to think about Satan. We're just supposed to think about him the way that God thinks about him. And it's really fun when you get God's mind on what he thinks about the enemy. Woo, set your life on fire and set you free really quick. And then we got to renew our minds on how we think about one another, how we think about others. So ourselves, our enemy, and others, that's what we're going after here in the next few minutes. And then we're going to do some business with God, and we're going to get set free. Because that's what Jesus came to do. Every day is a day for healing and freedom in his kingdom. So changing the way that we think about ourselves. We talk a lot about identity. If you've been around Antioch for any period of time, we preach this pretty hard, that because of the blood of Jesus, the Bible has an amazing, amazing just wealth of things to say about me because I am covered in the blood of Jesus. It's not that I'm so amazing, but it's that his blood has made me a new creation. His blood has caused me to be born again. His blood says I'm a saint by calling. His blood says that I'm free from the bondage of sin. His blood has a lot to say about my life. But here's the kicker. If I actually let his blood define my life. I need to learn to think about myself the way that God thinks about me in the blood of Jesus. Because in the blood of Jesus, he says I'm a saint. I'm no longer a sinner. And so if I walk around constantly saying, oh, I'm just such a sinner. I just did this and that again. Oh, I'm so weak. And blah, blah, then I'm actually not thinking with the mind of Christ. Yep. I'm not thinking of myself the way. That's not how God thinks about you. Yes. Not when he looks at you covered in the blood of Jesus. That's not how he thinks about you. Oh, I'm just so alone. Nobody cares about me. Nobody knows me. Nobody loves me. The Bible says that in the blood of Jesus, you've been adopted 
by a heavenly father into the family of God. So you can choose to identify yourself with things that God does not think about you, or you can choose to identify yourself in the blood of Jesus and all that it's done for you. Bill Johnson, he's the, the, the senior leader of Bethel Church. A lot of you guys probably have heard of them and see what their influence and their, this, this body of Christ is doing all throughout the world, just in their influence and who the, and the church, really. And he says this amazing statement. He says, I cannot afford to have a thought in my mind that God does not have about me. That's the renewed mind. I need to learn to think about myself the way that God thinks about me. Amen? In Psalm 139, verse 17 through 18, check this out. Look at how many thoughts God has about you. This is going to blow your mind today. Check this out. Verse 17, Psalm 139. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. Do you know that God thinks about you that much? More than the sand On the shores, that is the sum of God's thoughts about his children. If you're a parent in the room, this verse doesn't blow your mind because you know how much you think about your kids. You know how much you think about your sons and daughters. You know how much you love and adore and and care for and worry about your sons and daughters. God's a father. Of course, the sum of his thoughts are more than the sand of the sea. You're his kids. And I'll tell you, as a father of four, I don't walk around thinking about my kids. These kids are such messed up sinners. When are they going to get it together? Come on, three-year-old Hudson. When are you going to just get over this whole fit thing, you know, man? No, no, don't get me wrong. There are moments where I step in and I dress very clearly with correction, and I invite my kids along the road to maturity, okay? And there are moments where, where we do discipline with our children. But that's like 1% of my life with my kids, The 99% of some of my thoughts toward them are, you're amazing. I love you. I actually feel like I can't get close enough to you right now. I, like, could kiss your face off, you know? Like, I can't hold you close. I love you. You're amazing. I see the things that God has put in you. Even at three years old, you're so sweet and so kind, and you're so generous. And and that's what I think about my kids. Guys, we got to learn to think about ourselves like God thinks about us. And today, some of you, that's going to be your breakthrough in freedom yes. today. Is you're going to, I'm going to be honest. I stood back in the back and we're singing, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. And I'm looking around this room. I'm like, man, there are a lot of people in this room that don't believe that right now, <laughs> that do not believe that they are who God says that they are, or else they'd be singing this song with a lot more gusto and fire in their bones. Right. I'm just being honest. Yeah. We got to learn to believe who he says we are, church. We got to renew our minds. Secondly, we got to learn to think about our enemies the way that God thinks about our enemy. The Bible is clear, church. We are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. We live between the kingdom of heaven and the realm of this earth, and it is a, a war zone. And so we have an enemy. And we actually need to think rightly about that enemy or else he's going to eat our lunch and have his way with us. We got to think about our enemy the way that God thinks about our enemy. So I want to tell you three things about your enemy this morning so that you can renew your mind and think about him the way that he does. 
The first thing about your enemy that you need to know is that he is active. He is active. We don't talk about spiritual warfare all the time. We don't talk about Satan every Sunday. But we need to be watchful. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be watchful. Can we get 1 Peter 5.8 up there? Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Your enemy is active, okay? But we're not going to sit there for very long because the second thing about your enemy that you need to know today is that he's disarmed. Your enemy's disarmed. This is where it gets fun. Colossians chapter 2. Check this out in verse 13 through 15. It says that we were dead in our sin and our trespasses. God made us alive with Jesus when he forgave us. He actually forgave us by canceling the record of debt. Verse 14, he canceled the record of debt against me, the legal requirements that condemned me, and he nailed it to the cross when Jesus was crucified. And in that act of nailing my debts on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. And he triumphed over them. So what does it mean to be disarmed? You have no weapons. Disarmed doesn't mean you're dead. It doesn't mean you're gone. It just means you don't have any weapons. Okay? Oh, man. Satan has no weapons, man. He's been disarmed. It's not my words. It's the Bible. He's got no weapons. How about you? What does Ephesians 6 say about your weaponry? You got any weapons? Child of God, what kind of weapons do you have? The sword of the Spirit. The shield of faith. I hope you're carrying the shield of faith around because he's definitely trying to throw some darts at you, but you've got the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. So guys, check this out. You are running into battle against a weapon that has, against an enemy that has no weapons. And you have a sword in your hand. What does that mean? You got the upper hand on the enemy. Do you know that? Do you believe that you actually have the upper hand on the enemy? Man. We need to actually know, church, that the enemy, our destiny is not to be just yanked around by the enemy and messed with our whole lives. That is not why Jesus spilled his blood on the cross, so that we could just get jerked around by Satan for the rest of our lives until we go to heaven. That is nobody's destiny as a child of God. He's been disarmed. You have a sword. Church, you have the upper hand. I want you to say it with me. I want you to say, I have the upper hand. My enemy is defeated. I have the sword of the Spirit. Which means if I fight, I win. Amen. Come on, sister. But here's the thing. Okay, so he's active. He's disarmed. If I really have the upper hand, Chris, then how come life is actually so challenging? Why do I feel like so much temptation? If I actually have the upper hand, and this should be a winning battle for me, why am I getting crushed right now? This is the third thing you need to know about your enemy. He must be resisted. And only you can resist him. I can't resist him for you. Your roommate can't resist him for you. Your mom or dad can't resist him for you. A great Sunday morning service or life group can't resist him for you. You have to resist him. Because in 1 Peter 5, 8, where we hear about your enemy, 
is prowling around. Pull it back up here. Verse 8. He's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Check out the very next verse. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. James 4, 7 says this. Let's get James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will. I want you to say this with me, church. I have the power to put Satan to flight. I have the power to put Satan to flight. If I choose to resist him. If I choose to resist him. Church, our enemy is disarmed, but he's got to be resisted. And he's got to be resisted by you. And if you will stand firm, literally plant your feet and resist him, he will flee from you. It is not your destiny as a child of God to have your lunch eaten by the enemy for the rest of your life and just be jerked around by him and struggle and temptation and messed up thinking. Whom the sun sets free shall be free just a little bit. Whom the sun sets free shall be mostly free. Whom the sun sets free shall struggle to actually be free for the rest of your life. No. No. Whom the sun sets free shall be free free indeed. Free indeed means free indeed. Doesn't mean mostly free. But guys, we've got to change the way that we think so that that kind of transforming freedom actually gets into our lives. I'll tell you guys a, a quick story. I told you growing up that my mind was consumed with video games, with sports, and with sex. For the first 18 years of my life, guys, the third one on that list, man, it was, you know, it consumed my life. And when I, at 18 years old, met Jesus and turned away, man, I had some work to do in renewing my mind. But guys, the blood of Jesus works, and the gospel is real, and freedom is very real. And so after 18 years of my life being consumed by pornography and sexual immorality and a bunch of trash between my ears, Jesus began to radically set me free. But I have to be honest, it was mostly free. I mean, my life in college, it it drastically transformed. And there was a period of time where after dating girls and doing all this stuff in high school forever, for three years in college, the peak, right, the peak of all the relational stuff, for three years, I didn't date a girl or kiss a girl in college. And, but it wasn't just there. It was, it was my, amen, brother. So, so but it, was, it wasn't just there. It was in my thought life, too. I mean, Jesus was changing my inner world and, and actually the stuff that would happen in the quiet of my own room. And so I really began to experience freedom. But I have to be honest. It was like I would, I would walk in freedom for a year, a couple years, and maybe 18 months would go by, and then... And then I would choose it again, and I would go back to that place. And I just would be, this is not who I am. This is, oh, just wreck me inside and out. And then I, okay, no, I'm free. And then I, and I would go again for another 18 months or another, maybe a couple of years, and it's like I would choose it again. And that happened for five or six or seven years, and then I started hanging around you crazy Antioch people. And, and I began to experience people that were not just mostly free, that now we're, now we're just 98% free, but that we're free indeed. And I began to talk to men that said, yeah, um, you know, it's every man's battle at one point, but it's not every man's battle forever. 
and stand up and say, I've been free for 10 years, free indeed for 10 years. I've been free indeed for 12 years. And I began to hear these testimonies and this little, this little thought got into my mind. Maybe free indeed is actually possible. And it renewed my mind and it transformed my life. And so I can say joyfully in, in the blood of Jesus that I've actually been free indeed now for years. Free indeed. It's not, it's not a wrestle. It's not, I don't struggle with temptation in this area all the time. That is not my life. If that's the life Jesus died to redeem me for, then, then I want a refund. You know what I'm saying? But his blood is sufficient for your real freedom. But you've got to renew your mind and you've got to resist the enemy. I want Brian, get up here real quick. I want to say one last thing about resisting the enemy. So actually, Brian, I'm gonna have you come stand over here if you would on this side. Right here. Oh, don't trip you. Oh, actually, come over here, bro. I think I don't want you to fall. This you guys see him okay, right? No, actually, come come over here. Sorry, man. Sorry. Sorry. I just wanted to be right in the right spot and just exactly no, maybe right here a little bit. Oh, come, okay, right here. All right. Why am I able just to yank him all around the stage like that? Because he's not resisting me at all. He's just letting me pull him around. Now, Brian, why don't you try to resist me if you can, tough guy, okay? I want you to come stand on this side. No, no, seriously, Brian, come over here. Brian, I need you to come stand over here. Seriously, hey, I'm your boss. Come, come over here. Don't you... Okay, well, he's resisting me. I'm going to go start messing with somebody else, okay? Why don't you come up? Come on. No, seriously, just come over here. What happened the second he decided to plant his feet in the ground? He stood firm, and he resisted me. And very quickly, this got hard for me, and I gave up, man. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, man. Put your feet in the ground. You were born to put the enemy to flight. You were not born to struggle and fight with him for the rest of your life. It's not the gospel. Some of you need to plant your feet today and resist the devil and get set free indeed and change the way that you think about this thing. I'm going to have the band go ahead and come up here for this last one, how we think about others. So, I want you to flip to 2 Corinthians 2. Check this out. Just hang with me here. There's a few verses, but I want to see something really powerful this morning. The context here is that within the church, somebody had just, I mean, just blown it. I mean, just gross sin had been committed, and they're trying to walk through forgiveness with this guy and restore him into the fellowship. And so, this is his encouragement um, to the people in Corinth. Turn and forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Keep going. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. This is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I forgive. So you see this clear context of forgiveness Anyone you forgive, I forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we're not ignorant of his designs. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. We were just talking about forgiving this guy and now all of a sudden we're back talking about Satan and his designs and outwitting. Wait, what's going on here? 
Are you seeing it, church? What, what is the context of Satan's schemes to outwit the church? What's the context of this that we're talking about? Forgiveness. Somebody in the church did something wrong, and they're struggling to forgive him. And he's saying, we're not going to be outwitted by the enemy's designs here. You better turn and forgive this person and get past it. Here's the thing, church. The enemy, God has such an amazing plan when unity happens within the family. If you read the scriptures, see what happens to a unified church, it is heaven on earth, literally. And so if unity brings heaven to earth through the people of God, what do you think Satan's number one scheme against the church is going to be? Disunify. Divide. Create division. Right? It is his design to outwit us through unforgiveness with one another to divide the church and make us powerless. And guys, when we harness unforgiveness and bitterness toward fellow believers in the body, we play right into his scheme. And it is a self-inflicted wound. So this morning, we get to renew our minds in the way that we think about one another. Some of you today, there's bitterness, there's unforgiveness. Maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody didn't text you back, okay? Maybe they didn't shake your hand when you came through the door at Life Group, okay? I don't know, maybe they canceled an appointment on you and you, you took it personally. I'm not saying, there's probably some real hurts and pains that have also happened and those are legitimate. But guys, any place where we're holding on to unforgiveness within the body of Christ, it's actually inviting the enemy in to create division. We gotta change the way that we think. We gotta change the way that we think. So here's what we're gonna do, guys. For the next three minutes, these guys are gonna just play instrumentally. And I believe from the show of hands throughout today that 100% of us actually need to do some business with God right now. And we all get to ask him the question, how do you want to renew my mind today? It might be in how you think about yourself. It might be in how you think about your enemy. It might be in how you're thinking about someone else in here. It might be all three. But we're going to give you a few minutes to just do some work with God. And then we're going to come up here and, and respond together. So just ask him, how do I need my mind to be renewed today, Lord? Come and show me.
Lord wants to teach us how to think today. He wants to renew our minds in these areas. If you're on our prayer team, I'm going to have you go ahead and make your way to the front, our life group leaders. And as they, as they come up, I want to invite you to stand this morning as we respond to whatever the Lord's speaking to you. There's, a, there's an invitation for you to put a stake in the ground today for the sake of your freedom. There's an invitation for you to actually to, to take a step with God and respond. Maybe it's the way that you think about yourself. Maybe you need your mind to be renewed today so you actually believe that you are who he says you are. Maybe it's with the enemy. There's an area where the enemy's just been dragging you all around and, and it's time for you to plant your feet firm today and get free for real, free indeed. Some of you, it might be that you need to go walk across the room and forgive somebody that's in this room right now. And matter of fact, if you have an offense or you're holding on to some bitterness, I am personally challenging you that within the next 24 hours, you go and you speak to this person. You speak to this person face-to-face. You don't speak to their roommate about what happened. You speak to them face-to-face, and you deal with what you got to deal with, and you forgive that person. If they're in this room, I want to encourage you to do it right now during our response time. But as we close, I, I'm reminded of the story of this woman that for 18 years, she had this infirmity. She had this bleeding. And she had exhausted her resources to try to find healing and couldn't find it anywhere, everywhere she looked. And hopeless, 18 years, can you even imagine? Some of you are like, yes, I can imagine. I've been waiting on my breakthrough for 18 years. And I believe that today there's a specific grace and freedom for God to to release breakthroughs that have been shored up for 10, 15, 20 years and beyond. Because in one moment, this woman heard that Jesus was walking through the streets of her town. And she decided in faith to press through the crowd, to get out of her seat and go and lay hold of the edge of Jesus' garment, guys. And in one moment, one touch from Jesus, she was set free and healed from 18 years bondage. It's time for us to get free. We've got to reach out and lay hold of it, church. He's paid for it all. For you to reach out and lay hold of it this morning. So Lord Jesus, we invite you to come. Set us free. Renew our minds as we respond to you this morning.